Hi, listeners. Are you looking for some ways to improve your health? Maybe you're interested in a simple alcohol reset. I'm proud to share with you 0.0 Living. Many of my friends have wanted to do a 30-day alcohol-free challenge, but felt like they didn't have the tools, the support, and accountability. 0.0 Living gives you a simple reset to live more fully. So if you're ready to interrupt your patterns, live healthier and happier without ever feeling like you're missing out, join 0.0 Living's Alcohol-Free Challenge. For more information, you can go to their website at 00living.com. People are motivated by different things in different environments. That's been a constant challenge for me because what motivates me and the type of environment that I feel like I'm at my best self isn't necessarily the type of environment that 50, 100, 150 other people are at their best self. Failing. 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 We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, a blessing. Your dream. and then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Hello, everybody. I have Brad Howden, who is the Senior Vice President of Root, Inc. He is one of our first episodes of people outside of Cincinnati because we are going global. So I want to welcome Brad. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So, Brad, I know a little bit about you, but our listeners don't. So tell us where you grew up and a little bit about your family of origin. I grew up in, uh, in Toledo, Ohio, but we're going to take full credit for being outside of Ohio because I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan today. That's right. um, and I um, uh, live with uh, my wife, Jenny, uh, three kids, Gabrielle, Nick, and Allie, and a golden retriever named Rocky. Oh, my God. Adorable. Um, so although you grew up in Toledo, why did you move to Ann Arbor? I went to Ann Arbor for, uh, for undergraduate. So, um, uh, gosh, 20, a little over 20 years ago, I uh, went there for college and then, um, moved to the, moved to Chicago, like, uh, like many, uh, kind of big mm -hmm. 10 graduates do. And, um, I, uh, uh, was dating my wife. Um, we were engaged. We were kind of ready to get out of the city. And I was looking for an MBA program, and we just decided to head back to Ann Arbor. Nice. Is your um, wife from Ann Arbor, or where is she from? Uh, she's actually from Toledo as well. So she also went to Michigan, so um, similar path. So funny. Did you know her? Uh, she's a few years younger, so um, I did know her. Uh, I ran track, and she played field hockey, and uh, the kind of the athletic community is relatively small, so I got to know her through that. Uh, I just want to say that I, too, played field hockey, okay? And All right. my senior year of, of high school, we were the, um, we would have won state, we lost. We were runner-up champions of state of Ohio. So um, I don't know if she's older or younger than me, but mm -hmm, there it is. We'll have to find out afterwards. Do you remember who you played against? No, no idea. Okay. And okay. it was uh, 1992. Okay. Yeah. Is she older or younger? I'm guessing she's younger. A little younger. Yeah. Oh, God. How much? Tell me. Oh. How old is she? She's 39. We have the big 4-0 this year. Okay. Oh, party. That's really exciting. All right. I will not tell listeners what that age difference is then. 
So, Brad, I met you because of the work that your company, Root Inc., does. Can you give our listeners a brief overview on what service you provide? Absolutely, Sarah. So the the business has been around about 25 uh, years, and uh, my dad was actually one of the founders of the business. Um, His business partner was Randy Root, uh, hence the name Root. And they actually started in the trends business where they would do research to inform strategy for organizations. And so I remember um, remember being a kid and um, this was sort of pre-internet. And my dad would go to the Toledo Public Library a lot. We would get um, what just felt like stacks of magazines at the house every day. And there were yellow highlighters all over the house. And this is the way that he gathered the insights and the data and the trends to, to create the reports for his client. My dad and Randy did that for a few years. And when they went back to those clients and asked them, you know, that strategy that you created that we were, you know, a very small part of in terms of providing the, the trends and the insights and the market intelligence to inform the strategy, how is it going? And, and what they found was that more often than not, the strategy was collecting dust on a shelf. It was in a binder, stamped confidential. And those executives who went on a multi-month journey to create clarity, conviction, excitement around the strategy had no way to effectively translate that to the employee population to create the momentum and the movement required to change the direction of the company or just even evolve the direction of the company. And so at that point, they... Um, they, what I remember is my dad went to a think tank in Sweden. So he left the house for a week or two with Randy and um, they kind of took this business problem there. Uh, how do we take complex information um, and get it to large populations of people in a really compelling way that, um, that compels them to act? And so they came back with what is now referred to as the learning map methodology. For the first 10 or 15 years um, as a company, uh, that's really all Root did is we created learning maps, which are a way to engage a large population of people in the strategy of a business at scale. And it, it's been highly effective. Um, we've, we've done over $500 million of, of business with the learning maps wow. uh, deployed in 70 plus countries. So um, the methodology has been used across the globe over the last two decades. Um, the business has evolved from from that kind of initial starting point, mm-hmm. but um, but that's how the business was was initially founded. So uh, I'm curious, did you always know that you wanted to go work with your dad? No, I was. Um, I'm searching for the right word, but I'll just use a few descriptors. Uh, maybe arrogant, ego. Um, I, I always felt like I wanted to blaze my own path. Yeah. Um, and there were times where, um, where maybe I had an opportunity to work, work in the business um, early on, whether that was as an intern in college or shortly after college. And, um, and uh, I, I just chose to head, different, head, head down a different path early on. So, why, so then why'd you do it? So, um, you know, after after college, uh, I graduated in college 2002. The financial services industry was doing really well. I went into financial services, and um, 
you know, I, I, I think I, I knew it wasn't right for me probably on day one of the job. Um, I was in a suit and tie. I felt, um, a little uncomfortable. The structure just wasn't right for me. You just show up at eight 30, you take a lunch, you leave at five 30. Um, and I just, I was never comfortable. Um, and some of it was even just a suit and tie every day. But, um, but so I bounced around in financial services for a few years and then I'm 24, 25. I have no idea what to do. So I went to law school. Um, and this is where I, an example of kind of where the ego kicks in. So I went to the university of Toledo, um, my first year, it went well, I enjoyed it. Um, I do well in competitive environments. Um, I did well enough. I was put on scholarship. I, I don't know what the threshold was, but if you were in the top 10% of the class, you kind of automatically got put on scholarship. I, um, I thought, okay, well, let me parlay that to, uh, to another school. So I applied to some of the top schools in the Midwest and um, figured if, uh, if I get into one of these, I'm gonna continue my law school education, even though when I was in law school, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I struggled with the fact that um, some of my peers in law school were getting internships with, with judges and, and wanted to be a lawyer, and I didn't think I wanted to be a lawyer. And so um, I interned at Root. I was, I was kind of in transition and mm -hmm. It was the exact opposite of my financial services experience. Literally from day one, it was um, kind of a match made in heaven. I loved it. Um, what did you? And so, what did you uh, love about that? And then I want to talk about the. Um, so, f for a lot of people, it's listening to self when there's discomfort or when it's comfortable in the right spot. How did you discern that? I think some of the some of the natural strengths that I had connected really well with the business. And so um, I'm naturally curious and mm -hmm. that curiosity works really well in, con in consulting. Um, what else drew you to want to work there? I mean, you could have worked anywhere. I, I don't remember it that way, but I, but I appreciate the compliment. So um, I, I was always curious about the business. So uh, I remember when I was in college and the TV in my room would either have ESPN or CNBC on. And so there was an element and that, and when I think about when I went into financial services initially, um, I thought that's what I was drawn to, but, but I was really just more curious about business in general. And from day one at root, the ability to just honestly learn mm -hmm. the the really cool thing about consulting if if you if if you have these traits i feel like i've been given the best biggest gift in the world because with every client i get to learn new things yeah and after 17 years um i'm working with a um with an organization a multinational in china right now and it is so exciting to learn about their business, learn about their challenges, uh, get to work with their, their leaders and the rest of the organization to try and achieve their mission and full potential. And that's still just fun to me. So, you know, strategy to me can be like, I don't know, an enigma at times. And when, when I used to teach um, 
leadership development programs, inspire a shared vision was typically what people struggled with the most, which goes back to that strategy, how we're going to get there, painting the picture for people. Um, and I think there's a really cool correlation between strategy at work and that vision and strategy at home too. And I'm just curious for you, were you naturally good at strategy? Cause it's, it's a unique skill set. I don't know. I don't know if I was, I was naturally good at it. I think, um, the one thing that it does require is just the ability to get businesses and how they work relatively quickly and be able to draw corollaries between this business model is kind of like this business model. So I have a foundational understanding of, of how the business works. But I want to go back to one thing that you previously said about um, what did you call it in terms of leadership development? Use the phrase that around. Yeah, inspire a shared vision. Yeah. So I think one of the things that we think about at Root in terms of inspire shared vision, what really differentiates the organization is the way that we use creative methods to do our work. And so how we, we go about doing our work. And uh, we talk about creating shared meaning. So creating shared meaning around where you want to take the business. And a lot of times what, what happens is people use, people use words and decks. The challenge is those words have different meanings to different people. Mm -hmm. And so if I say, we're gonna, we're gonna excel at the customer experience, and you and I are on a team, that might mean two very different things to us, the word customer experience, right? And so uh, in our work, we use, we use creative methods. We visualize, we storytell. Um, we use other methods to, to really kind of bring out the inconsistencies that naturally exist in the language so that you do have a shared vision or a shared understanding of where you want to take the business. Because oftentimes what happens is you think you have a shared understanding and you have four or five different versions of the same story getting executed across different functions or geographies, and that creates tensions and issues as, as you get into it. Brad, are you a really good communicator with your wife? I am no. I'm I would going say to that so is a strength off. of ours. I would say if I would say that is a strength strength of ours. Yes. So I um. I do feel like we uh, we communicate well. Um, because I keep thinking about uh, creating like shared meaning. And I think conflict happens at the workplace and at home when people have different meanings around language, right? Like language is such a foundational connector with people. Uh, absolutely. And I, um, I'm smiling because I'm thinking back yeah. to, you know, when I was first married and um, I think we do communicate well, but you know, you, you have kind of the scene and this is a, a, a kind of a, a real story and a real scene where, you know, you, you leave the toilet seat up in the bathroom and my wife's name's Jenny and she comes in and starts screaming at me for leaving the toilet seat up. And pretty quickly you realize, uh, she's, her being upset has nothing to do with the toilet seat. And we're clearly not communicating well enough because whatever led to that point was just a breakdown in, in the natural kind of daily communication, um, and dialogue that should occur. And so, um, I, we, uh, 
I don't get yelled at for leaving the toilet seat up anymore, even though I, I probably do leave the toilet seat up because we do, I, I, we do communicate well on a daily basis. So are you having to coach leaders when you're trying to get them, because you have to get alignment, right, on what, that, what those strategies are and then how to activate it. So do you have to do some, conflict management's the wrong thing, but how do you get them on the same page around meaning, shared meaning? I would say the, the essential ingredient is just dialogue and conversation. And that seems okay. simple, but if you, if you drop into many large organizations and the process that's used to create strategy, which is often referred to as a long range plan, or they, they have their own vernacular for what their three year business plan is, right? Or their five year business plan. And Unfortunately, what often happens in that pro and that, that information often goes to the board if they're if they're publicly traded. Unfortunately, what often happens in that process is there's a process to create a deck, and that process to create a deck, certain slides get ferreted out to certain parts of the business and different functional areas, and and they may review the deck, and that may take weeks or months of work, mm -hmm. but there's not the requisite dialogue. So that they, at the end of the day, the deck is a representation of their shared beliefs. Um, oftentimes, the deck is created and those shared beliefs don't exist yet. And so um, as simple as it sounds, a, a lot of it comes down to dedicating the time and creating the safe environment to have the open and honest conversations. And that can be hard with leaders, right? They, right. Um, they've risen to a point in their career and having that open, authentic, vulnerable dialogue around, I'm not confident in this part of the strategy, or I'm not sure I trust this part of the business is going to be able to execute that well. And, and that's a consideration in whether we, whether we fund this issue or not. Um, that can be a challenge and it, it takes creating the right environment and then uh, a bit of vulnerability from, from the leader and the leadership team. Yeah. Which I know you said it sounds simple, but don't you feel like the simplest things are sometimes the most challenging things and important things? Absolutely. So I want to ask you this. You and I obviously had our pre-call, right? We chitty-chatted. So curious. What are the things that you're like, I want to share this story or I want to share this point? And you know, I shared with you that the purpose of this is to help others, right? Yeah. So let's let's do your storytelling time. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, I you know the topic is obviously failing forward, and as I reflected on my failures as a leader, um, and I listened to some of the other podcasts, and I'm I'm really fortunate. I haven't had a a major health event in my life or anything that um, um, that has that level of magnitude to it. But, uh, but I do feel like my journey as a leader has been um, a work in progress. And I still feel like I'm a work in progress. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I mentioned track earlier. So I, um, relatively speaking, I, I did well in track. I, I ran track in college at the University of Michigan and I'm highly competitive. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember in high school and in college, uh, 
with my teammates, you would push each other and compete against each other uh, in a way that at the end you felt good because you worked your hardest and they worked their hardest and you both got closer to achieving your full potential as a result. Um, and so there was this natural competition that existed. We even competed to be on relay teams. When I first joined the business world, um, especially at Root, I, I kind of thought that everybody was motivated that way. And if we just compete with each other, and I remember being an associate consultant thinking, okay, I compete with all the other associate consultants and we collaborate, we share ideas and stuff, but we're, we're gonna compete and we're gonna compete as a group. And then we all get that much closer to achieving our full potential by competing with each other. Um, I quickly realized that's not the way the world works and everybody has different, some people in those environments just check out. Right. right. And so people are motivated by different things in different environments. And um, that's been a constant challenge for me because what motivates me and the type of environment that I feel like I'm at my best self isn't necessarily the type of environment that 50, 100, 150 other people are at their best self. And, and to be honest, in most cases, that competitive environment that I really actually enjoy and thrive in is not the environment that, that most people want to, to grow and, and be challenged in. So what did you shift? And so that's been a big challenge for me as a leader. What do you do differently? Well, I try to create an environment that um, doesn't kind of presuppose my personal biases into it and mm -hmm. make sure that um, it's an environment that works for everybody and is inclusive and can work for different profiles, for lack of a better term, right? Whether it's an HBDI profile or whatever disc profile you're familiar with. I think the other thing that I learned as a leader is um, I had a um, – I had a college track coach, his name was Fred. And I remember um, the 400 meter relay was, was for lack of a better term, kind of the sexy race, right? It's really fast, <laughs> it's quick, it's over in 40 seconds. Okay. And uh, anybody, that's, anybody that's a sprinter wants to be in the 400 meter relay. And we had a, a really good team my sophomore year and there were three guys competing for the last spot and I was one of them. And um, at the start of the year, I. I wasn't on the, the 400 meter relay team. And I remember my coach, Fred, that called me into his office and said, I know you're frustrated, but just keep working as hard as you're working. It'll work out. And I, I remember kind of making eye contact with him and I could tell that he was in it for my success. Hmm. And he wanted me to thrive. And I often think of that moment um, in his office, and I try to translate that to the folks I work with. Because um, even if you have to give difficult feedback, even if somebody disagrees with, um, with your coaching or how you handle something, if, if they know that you're in it for their success, um, that gives you a lot of runway to help grow and develop somebody. And so um, on all of this, I'm a work work in progress but um but but those are some of the things that i'm working on as a leader and it's been a, a constant learning journey over the last 15 or so years brad um 
I have, I've had a number of fantastic leaders. Um, but I, I had this one, uh, manager early on and he was, I was working in government and he was the superintendent and there was a job that was open. It was actually a training manager position. I had a master's in counseling. I wasn't even in the training world. And he kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, I think you should apply for this job. And I thought, oh my God, like I could never do this job. I don't know how to do it. And he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And ever since then, I've always wanted to pay it forward, whether it is one of my direct reports or somebody that I'm coaching or so, or a peer. Like I, I just tried to give some positive feedback to a peer today so that she knew, um, back to your point that like, I'm in it for her, just like Fred was in it for you. So uh, I, I think those, again, I'm going to go back to our theme of it might sound simple, but it's so important, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brad, so today in my team meeting, I wanted to share, I wanted to give them like an inspiring video at the beginning of our meeting. And somebody had told me that, hey, start reading fairy tales because the messages um, even though they're written for children, they're like so pure and such good messages in there. Mm -hmm. And so I found a um, video for children on growth mindset and it was like a cartoon and it was about a seed and it growing into a plant and, um, and I could see them all on zoom, right? Watching this video and they were more, they were more attentive to that video and more intrigued and, um, present with it. I think than if I had shown something else and um, I don't know where I'm really going with that with you, but I just, I think it connects to the work that you do around visualization for people. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think there's so some beauty. It's so beautiful to think about just those simple life lessons or um, what, what would be the right word? The, um, yeah, simple lesson in something like that. Is that crazy? Yeah. Um, no, no, it's not crazy. And growth mindset is a, um, it's a popular term. It's a popular kind of buzzword, for lack of a better, better term, in corporate America. And I do think it connects to, um, you kind of connect it to the fairy tale story with children. I do think it connects to, to kind of when you're when you're a child and you have that curiosity. Like we, we often hear about the natural curiosity of a child. And I think, unfortunately, many times in organizations, especially more mature organizations, that natural curiosity doesn't exist. It's not fostered. Mm -hmm. um, and it impedes a growth, a growth mindset or growth. And so that's something we think about a lot just in terms of how do you, how do you create the right conditions? Uh, but in, in, in most situations, that curiosity that you see with children is also an essential ingredient to helping an organization grow. 100%. So I'm curious, when you are working with those teams to come up with the alignment and then how to activate and the storytelling of that, do you have to do anything to get those leaders in that mind frame or in that space? so that they're not blocked. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. So um, sometimes they'll say, um, what are these cartoons? I actually, uh, an unnamed client in Cincinnati, I remember I was presenting and it was the first meeting and the CFO wrote WTF very large on a piece of paper and slid it over to the CEO at the start of the meeting. Stop it. Um, and, uh, and I saw it. So it was, uh, it was somewhat distracting and it can be jarring. So, so to be fair to those individuals, you, you, you're not usually in business meetings where you have an artist in the room where you are visualizing the dynamics of the marketplace and why we need to change as an organization. And so um, in those situations, it's, it's really important to help them understand that, uh, that other people do this. It helps to have examples of clients we've worked with, mm -hmm. but it does take, it does take um, some work to create the psychological safety and the openness to, uh, to have those conversations and bring kind of the creative side of the brain to the forefront uh, in, in the sessions. Okay. Uh, two things. When he did that, what did you do <laughs> and how did you self-manage? I, uh, I, I think I, I remember I, I chuckled. Um, <laughs> and, um, I remember intentionally when the meeting was over because the meeting went well, um, and he didn't see me do that, going up to him and asking him, hey, how did you think that went? Um, just to affirm that uh, that it wasn't WTF walking out of the door, even if it was WTF uh, in the first five minutes of the meeting. <laughs> um, I would have, my face would have turned red. And then I probably would have gotten pissed all in a matter of two seconds. <laughs> So, Brad, maybe this is a reach, but you know how uh, in research recently this whole concept of play is important. It's supposed to bring more happiness to us as humans, and children do it really, really naturally, right, obviously. Is there any part of that play concept that you bring into the process to bolster creativity or no? There is. We we don't use the word we don't use the word play, but um, because people we talk would, a lot about they do we the could. WTF. It'd probably make it more fun, <laughs> right? We get like another WTFs all day long. Yeah. Um, we think a lot about just active participation and active engagement, and when you think about the status quo in organizations you have a leadership team that goes on a journey to author a strategy and they have ahas and insights and you know hopefully they're having really high quality working sessions to really debate that and they have years of experience from where they sit as a leader to inform their point of view and then what happens in most organizations is the ceo does a town hall with a deck yeah and they present 50 slides of data that highlights why we need to change, what the new strategy is, what is the ask of everybody. And then I'm often in these sessions and they, and they kind of walk off the stage and they, they feel a bit deflated because they wonder why folks aren't as excited 
or don't get it to the level that they, they get it. And the challenge is, and it's gotten worse through the years because of smartphones and other things, you know, people are sitting there passively engaged, right. thinking about what's going to, what are you going to have for dinner? Uh, maybe their shopping list. Yes, what texting, now say. they're texting. Yeah. Now they're texting, right? So they're probably not even paying attention. Right. And, and the retention on that information alone is very low. And so a lot of our work really focuses how do we kind of take people from the sidelines, get them in the game, and get them actively wrestling with these challenges. And, and sometimes that can be um, intimidating from a leadership perspective because, because, well, wait a second, the strategy is the strategy. I need to tell it to them. Right. Um, but the problem is the goal is really for them to receive it embrace it, understand it, create a line of sight between their role and the business, and then ultimately be able to behave differently. And the goal is not to just say it, right? The, the goal is, is more around the receiver and their ability to internalize it and do something with it. And to do that or to achieve that, you need to actively engage people. So we use, we use gaming elements, we use small group dialogue, things that are very participatory mm-hmm. so that so that people are coming to the same ahas and insights that the, the leaders in the business have around the strategy and, and what we need to do. Because absent that, the, the PowerPoint town hall presentation just does very little. So Brad, uh, clearly the world has evolved a great deal, right? Um, just since COVID, right? So. Why do you think what you guys have done continues to stand the test of time? Or maybe you tell me, here's why, it, why our process and our, our um, services work, even in the midst of all of this COVID disconnection. Sarah, you know, you brought up COVID. I think in many ways, what's gone on over the last 12 months across the world really highlights the need for our um, services in the marketplace even more. And what I mean by that is um, people often feel disconnected from their organization. And at least from what I've seen, when you're physically isolated from people, that disconnection grows or, or kind of accentuates and becomes a bigger deal. And, and oftentimes that connection is fostered between the employee and the organization. When, when the organization and the employee come together and, and understand that they're trying to create something together that is kind of much bigger than they could accomplish alone. And mm-hmm. the employee understands that they're a critical part of that equation, whether that's an organizational purpose or mission or vision or what, whatever, whatever it is for that company. And, and I, I would say that was a challenge before COVID. Yeah. And now that's an even bigger challenge with the, the virtual workforce, the inability to come together physically. Um, and, and oftentimes when people are uh, disengaged in their business um, with their employer, it's not based on their compensation. It's not tied to some other issue. It's oftentimes tied to the fact that they they just don't see the connection between what the organization is trying to do and the meaningful role that they play in enabling that. Right. 
Right. They, as humans, we want to be part of something big or part of a community. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Something bigger than ourselves. Right. Yes. And so something a lot of our work. Say, yeah. Something bigger than ourselves. Yep. A lot of our work, we use the word strategy. And earlier you talked about how that's, that's kind of a, a bare word, right? It, it means different things to different people. Um, even though we work on the topic of strategy, a lot of what we're doing is really helping to cement those connections mm -hmm. and help people understand the critical role they, they play in driving the success of the business. We just happen to call it call it strategy. And so I'm, I'm optimistic that, um, you know, as we continue to work through COVID and the future of work evolves and changes, that the need for our services will, will only continue to grow in the marketplace because, because the, the need to feel connected and to be connected to drive not just the performance of an organization, but to, to drive the happiness of individuals that work in those organizations will will continue to be, to be a challenge and continue to be a need. Okay, uh, this is a perfect closing for us because I just wanna reiterate two big points that you said today, which I love. Going back to Fred, that you know he was in it for you. And, and you said cementing connections. And I, I can't help but think that what your work does is helps reinforce people, uh, helps for people to know that like, I'm part of something bigger or that as leaders, we're like, I see you, you know, your people are being seen and heard and that's really important work. So thanks for being on today. You are a rock star. I really appreciate it. Even when I know you're out of town and you logged in for this. So we appreciate you. Thank you, Sarah. The feeling is mutual. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.